Well, welcome uh, as we celebrate Holy Cross Day. It's a perfect uh, confluence of the liturgical calendar and where we are in our Corinthians reading because St. Paul today is talking about laying aside his rights for the sake of the gospel. Um, We left St. Paul writing to the Corinthians about how they ought not to eat meat sacrificed to idols. And the principal reason that uh, he writes to them about this is that they not cause others to stumble. And I, we were, I was talking to some parishioners after the service, and I just want to be clear that you can't make someone else lose his salvation, but we can certainly influence them wrongly. We can certainly weaken them, causing them to stumble, is what St. Paul says in verse 11 when it's taken in its context in chapter 8. Today, however, we're going to talk about Paul setting an example for the church in Corinth in chapter 9. Remember how Paul has defined himself and all those who are Christians. Thank you. He's defined them as stewards of the sacred mysteries. Do you remember that from a few weeks back? He's reminded them that they're not their own. They were bought with a price. He's reminded them that they ought not to act, therefore, like the world, because they're not of the world. They're of him. St. Paul has reminded them they're called to be faithful, no matter what the circumstance, no matter where they are in life, whether married or unmarried, whether um, rich or poor, whether even slaves or free. And so here he's talking about that, uh, once again, summarizing the last several chapters in chapter 9. But he's saying, this is the model for us as Christians, and it's not something that I just tell you to do, St. Paul is saying, it's something that I do myself. For while he is free, and while we are free, both physically and spiritually, so we are servants The actual Greek is slaves to Christ. So today, St. Paul makes that point and sums it all up. To lead in the kingdom of God is to sacrifice and serve. To sacrifice and serve, just as Jesus did. And what better image do we have today than the Holy Cross? The Son of God being lifted up on the Holy Cross, suffering that death, Philippians tells us, He descended from heaven, giving up all of his rights and dying on the cross for us. St. Paul sees Jesus as the living example here. And St. Paul sees Jesus as one to imitate and to call others to imitate. Open up with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 because we're going to look at a couple things this morning. We're going to look, number one, at what it means to be an apostle, apostleship. What does that mean? Because Paul talks about that. Number two, we're going to look about, we're going to look at how even as an apostle, Paul submits his rights for the sake of the church and the gospel. And therefore, so should all Christians. 
The first thing we see in this letter is Paul making a case for his apostleship. Why does that matter? Because St. Paul's reminding the Corinthians of his authority to speak to them. You see, the Corinthians were an unruly lot. They didn't want to listen to Paul. So Paul is reminding them that he is their spiritual authority, that the Lord has placed him over them. Look with me at chapter 9, verse 1. Paul writes, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul has the authority to speak to them the way that he's spoken to them because of his position given to him by the Lord. The last several chapters have not been easy listening, have they? They're not kind of the fluffy um, Christianity that gets bantered around in American society, right? it's, It's being called to holiness. It's being called to obedience. It's being called to crucify the the desires that come from our flesh, from our sinful nature. Those aren't easy things to do. And friends, it's not any easier for the Corinthians to hear that than for us to hear that, okay? In fact, it might be more difficult for them to hear that because of their pagan world. But Paul is an apostle. And as an apostle, he's called to proclaim the gospel in its fullness. The Greek for apostle is actually apostolos, and it's got a special significance in the New Testament church, but it comes from a Greek word that means messenger, ambassador, or legate. Messenger, ambassador, or legate. It's it's one that has the authority of him who sent him, okay? So it's not just like, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the telegram guy coming, or the mailman coming to your house, or... or or someone just delivering you a message. It's about someone empowered by the messenger delivering you a message. The most, uh, the the easiest way to think about it in today's society is maybe like a diplomat from another country, right? Maybe the foreign minister of another country coming to the State Department, or someone from our State Department going to an embassy in another country. It's that idea. That goes with apostle or apostolos. And there's certain qualifications for being an apostle, according to the Bible. Number one, Paul mentions one here. You might have noticed it. An apostle has to have seen Jesus Christ with his own eyes. Do you see where Paul says that in verse one? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? St. Luke records also that Paul saw Jesus. I just want to read you briefly from the book of Acts. You don't have to flip there. I'll give you the citation though. It's Acts chapter 9. But Paul, writes St. Luke in the book of Acts, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he was on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, 
Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. What's another thing you notice about this story, this true story from the Bible? Well, Paul sees Jesus, yes, but number two, it's an event that's witnessed by others and not just by the people that are with him. So Paul is literally made blind while traveling to Damascus and he's guided to another man named Ananias who God speaks of in a dream and then who's confident enough to meet Saul and heal him and baptize him. We jump down to verse four. And he said, the God of our fathers appointed you to know this, his will, to see the righteous one and hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of whom you've seen, of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. That's what Ananias says to, to Saul, soon to be St. Paul. So number one, he's seen the Lord. Number two, it's been testified to by someone else who's witnessed it. And number three, to be an apostle, he's acknowledged by the church. St. Paul was recognized by the apostles who were initially afraid of him. It makes sense, right? He's going around rounding up Christians and stoning them. The scripture tells us that he was there as St. Stephen, the first martyr, was stoned. This is Acts 22. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So St. Paul is baptized and begins preaching boldly. He does a complete 180. And Barnabas says, no, this guy's for real. <laughs> this guy's for real. So St. Paul reminds the Corinthians that their conversion, their very existence as a church is due to the gospel being preached to them. And of course, he's the one that brought it to them. Why is he going so hard on the Corinthians? Well, they're questioning his authority at this point. The last several chapters have been hard teaching, and the Corinthians are already saying, Paul's not a real apostle. He doesn't act like the rest of the apostles. Because other apostles, apostles have rights, and they have duties to instruct, to confront, to discipline. Okay, we see him doing that, but they also have a right to eat and drink, verse 4. They have a right to have a believing wife, verse 5. They have a right to be paid, verses 6 and 7. Even according to the Old Testament law, and the law that Paul quotes here is Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. So let's look at that together. This is my defense, Paul writes, in verse 3 of chapter 9, to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to, to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife 
as do the other apostles and the brother of our brothers of our Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Do I say these things on human authority? Does the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while it treads out the grain. Is it for the oxen that God's concerned? Does he not speak entirely for our sake? It is written for our sake, because the plowman should plow in hope, and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? Stop there for a minute. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, as one that does work here in the ministry, I have every right to be fed, to have my family taken care of, to be given compensation for what I'm doing for the Lord. But I'm not doing that. You see, the Christians in Corinth were holding this against them. You and I hear that and we think, boy, what a generous guy. But you and I are not in the Roman system. In the Roman system, anyone who was great expected to be paid by his clients. So in the Roman system, there was something called the patron-client system, right? So the patron was like the Lord, you know, medieval Lord. The client was like the serf. And guess what? The great Lord got a cut of everything that went on with the serf. And so the, the Corinthians are chastising Paul because he's not taking his cut. They're saying, look, if you were a real authority, you'd be taking your cut. Do you see how, they, how they're twisting that against him? It, it's a bizarre thing for us to think about. But in their mind, he's not legitimate because he's not taking his cut as the patron, as the apostle in this case. But Paul turns that idea on its head, like so many things in our culture that get turned on their head by Christianity. And Paul says he's not doing that out of love. He's doing that out of love and out of the ability to share the gospel. Look as we continue on with the reading. This is uh, the second half of verse 12. It begins, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, says Paul. We, have, we, ha we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, it is the norm that apostles get compensated. Presumably, the rest of the 12 are being compensated for their work. And that's okay, that's right, it's according to the law. But verse 15, I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision, for I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe to me if I do not preach 
the gospel. You see, Paul has a higher thing in mind here. He doesn't want to encumber this young church with costs. Like many church planters today, like those who go out and start new churches, like many missionaries in many parts of the world today, Paul doesn't take what he's worth. And he does that to help the church. Why? Because for him, it's more important and he is willing to sacrifice and suffer so that the gospel can be better proclaimed. He's not gonna take that $50,000 salary. Instead, he's gonna take 20 so that the gospel can be proclaimed with that difference of money. Do you see this is an act of love? And what Paul's trying to get across to these stubborn Corinthians is that it's not about their rights, it's about the gospel. And he's saying, look, I'm putting my money where my mouth is, folks, and you're using it against me. Do you see that? Paul wants the gospel, he says, to be offered free of charge. And his reward, even as freedom, was not here in this world, but in another world. Because the Corinthians had become so obsessed with their rights, they found it almost impossible to believe that Paul could be inwardly driven, pure, purely driven by his love for Jesus Christ and the passion of the gospel. They were reckoning, they would have reckoned, that is the Corinthians, that the ultimate disaster if they'd had their rights stripped away. But for Paul, on the other hand, it would have been the ultimate catastrophe if he had been compelled to stop preaching the gospel. You see, this is a matter of priority for Paul. What's more important, my comfort or the gospel? Friends, there's people today who, who embrace the gospel at great sacrifice. There's people today who embrace the gospel losing their social standing, losing their money, losing their ability to even provide for their families. And we might scratch our heads and say, why would they do that? But for St. Paul, that's what we're to do. Why? Because that is so much more important than comfort here on this earth. Now I have to admit, I struggle with that. I struggle with that. It's really difficult to believe in the reality of something that we can't see, taste, feel, right? It's much easier for us to live in comfort. But Paul is setting an example to us, to the Corinthians. When you have your eye on the heavenly goal, this fades away. All of a sudden your priorities begin to shift. And this world's comforts and priorities become less significant. Look at verse 19. For though I am free, I have made myself a servant to all, says Paul, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win others, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. 
I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. Look, we look at St. Paul's life, we know a lot about him. St. Paul was a Roman citizen. That gave him certain rights in this empire. You know, St. Paul is beheaded and not crucified like some of the other apostles. Why? Because he's a Roman citizen. I know that might not seem like a big deal, but think about it. St. Paul is given trials in front of Roman courts because he's a Roman citizen. St. Paul is a free man and he's a well-educated man because he's a Roman citizen. St. Paul has all sorts of privilege because he's a Roman citizen. And yet he puts all that aside to be a slave for the gospel. St. Paul spiritually has become free because he's a Christian. St. Paul doesn't have to abide by the Jewish law, which is what he's saying here, because he's a Christian. St. Paul is a strong man as an apostle. He's a patron because he's an apostle as a Christian. And yet he wants to set all that aside. Why? For the sake of the gospel. How much more should the Corinthians be sacrificing for the sake of the gospel? What should they be laying aside for the sake of the gospel. And of course, the challenge to us, what ought we lay aside that we rightfully have as United States citizens and as Christians for the sake of the gospel? To the Jew, he became a Jew. To the Gentiles, he became a Gentile. To the strong, he became strong. To the weak, he became weak. To the slave, he became slave. To the free, he became free all for the sake of the gospel, giving up comfort, education, highly esteemed prestige in life, all for the sake of the gospel. But look, this is what Jesus did. Paul, while having many rights as an apostle, lays them all at the foot of the cross and calls the Corinthians and us to do the same. The passage, this passage asks us very clearly, what are your priorities? What are your priorities? What's the end game? What's gonna matter when you come to your final breath? What's gonna matter when you stand before the Lord in his majesty? Will the things we accumulate matter? Will the prestige that we hold on to matter? Will those nice certificates talking about my education in my office matter? No. None of that will matter. But that I was found a son of Jesus Christ and that we were found sons and daughters of Jesus Christ and that we were servants to him for the sake of the gospel. May we have that boldness. May we have that endurance to give things away, to take the sacrifice upon ourselves, because by his holy cross, we have been redeemed. By his blood, we have been saved.
Amen.